And it became apparent to me that it's not just because automatically you become bipolar or depressed. There's a lot of reasons to go through it. And I had experienced one of those reasons. Welcome to the Be It Till You See It podcast, where we talk about taking messy action, knowing that perfect is boring. I'm Lassa Logan, Pilates instructor and fitness business coach. I've trained thousands of people around the world. And the number one thing I see stopping people from achieving anything is self-doubt. My friends, action brings clarity. And it's the antidote to fear. Each week, my guests will bring bold, executable, intrinsic, and targeted steps that you can use to put yourself first and be it till you see it. It's a practice, not a perfect. Let's get started. All right, be it, babe. I've got a different kind of episode this week, and I want to just say at the beginning, um, we are going to talk about mental health issues. We will. Um, my guest today is going to share a story about being assaulted as a child suicidal thoughts. Um, and I say at the top because if that is something that might affect you negatively in this moment, then please save this episode for a different day. But I would really love for you to listen. Um, this guest reached out to me and shared their vulnerable story. I'm going to cry. It's such a beautiful episode. This person's life and journey in their mental health and then helping others with theirs. Whew, I'm going to get it together. Um, it's nothing short of amazing. And it is something that I think is really important. I think it's really easy. I know too many of you listeners have mental health problems that you're going through and you suffer in silence. And that hurts my soul because it can be so difficult to get help. It can be so difficult to get the help that you need. There's can be so much bureaucracy and tape to go through, and then you may not have the financial means, energy, or support to get it. And so, um, I wanted to do this episode because I don't, I don't want to brush off that we have a mental health problem in this world. And some of you might have someone in your life who's going through something, and it's affecting you as well. And you might be struggling with how to support them and yourself and protect yourself and but support them and love them and have kindness and graces. So our guest today is Steve Wilson. He's the author of an amazing book with his life story. Um, he was diagnosed with bi uh, bipolar disorder two in the um, 50s. And um, he He's, he's 75 years old and dedicating his time to helping people who need help and access to support who are going through mental health stuff. And he has been doing this for many, many years in the 90s, helping kids in high schools. And so it's a, it's, a, it's an episode I hope you listen to and I hope it inspires you and helps it gives you resources if you need them for your own mental health or if you need them to help someone who's going through something. And so... um let me know how this episode feels for you and um, share it with a friend who might need to know the information on how to help someone who's going through something. And I promise I don't cry the whole episode. <laughs> I'm just crying on the intro. It's really cool. Nothing happens. Like I don't, I, I don't really believe in coincidences. I really do believe that people come into our lives for a reason, season, or a lifetime. And that there's some, there's a reason why this guy applied. And you guys, with the process we have, he may not have applied, actually. And when I got to hear him and to hear a story and I got to hear 
about his life and his health right now. I made it a priority to get his episode recorded before our tour because I wanted to make sure I didn't miss out on the opportunity to hear it, to share it with you. So Steve Wilson, thank you so much for being you. Thank you for your story. Y'all, again, please uh, take care of your mental health if this is not the right time to listen to this episode. But um, if you know someone who who needs support or you uh, know you'll need it in the future or need it in the past, this is a great episode and we can all make a change in this world when it comes to how um, wherever you live in this world supports mental health and those who need it. Um, So here is the Be It Till You See interview with Steve Wilson. Loves, it's here. OPC Summer Camp. You know that thing we started last year? Well, we're doing it again this year and we're making it bigger and better than ever because we have teachers from all over the world, which means all day long you can nerd out with me at Camp Zoom from the comfort of your own home in your favorite Pilates workout outfit without having to get bugs or dirt or weird camp food that's like some weird slot. No, you can have the amazing food from your own home. You can be whatever clothes you want to be in and you can join us all day long for whatever workouts and workshops you sign up for. In fact, you can even do a whole day pass and save the most money. In fact, up to 56% off if you buy the day pass. So go to opc.me slash events to see the full schedule and lineup of events. If you only have access to a mat, we've got plenty of stuff for you. We've got reformer. We've got some happy hip reformer with you. We've got so many amazing things. You can go to opc.me slash events to see the whole schedule, all 14 teachers and all the goodness that's going to happen at Camp Zoom. And I'm your camp director. Woo! All right, be it, babe. I'm just so excited. When I met this man, I had immediately tried to figure out a time we can meet because he is a very special human. I feel so blessed and touched to get to um, know him uh, in his life. And he's going to share an incredible story with you and also some things that we all can be considering. So Steve Wilson, thank you for being a guest at the Be It Till You See It podcast. Can you tell everyone who you are and what you do? Hi. Hi. My name is Steve Wilson. <laughs> I'm retired. I've been married for 51 years. I have three daughters and two granddaughters, and I'm living in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, I recently wrote a book called Teetering on the Tightrope, My Bipolar Journey, that outlines my entire life of 75 years suffering from bipolar disorder. Wow. (laughs) 51 years of marriage, 75 years of life. Three kids and a book. Um, what, you know, I don't think a lot of people, I feel like bipolar disorder is something that people have heard about, but maybe if they haven't met, if they don't have anyone in their life who has it, they might not know exactly what it is. Can you kind of explain that and then also how you got diagnosed there? Well, bipolar disease, there's actually two types. There's bipolar one, which is really highlighted by mania. You have depression, and then it goes into out-and-out mania, which the person will think they are superhuman. They'll spend all their money. They'll buy things. uh, They'll do things that ruin their family life. And it's just all-out terribleness. Mm. When they crash, which they will eventually, they look around, and their life has been ruined. Mm. Bipolar 2, is which I am, is deep, deep depression, suicidal ideations, mm. sometimes suicidal attempts, and sometimes suicidal outright. Mm-hmm. Uh, the highest I ever got was called hypomania, which is 
higher than what you normally would go through life with, but not as high as out-out mania. Those are the two types that most people deal with. So, you know, when were you diagnosed? And Well, I got to start earlier. Okay, let's start earlier. Let's start from the beginning. (laughs) Okay. Uh, When I was nine years old in 1958, uh, I went to a movie theater in my local town. I was waiting to get a Coke, and a guy came up to me and said, uh, I thought he was an employee. And he said, do you think you could help me here in the theater? And I said, sure, I'll be glad to. That'd be cool. And unfortunately, he took me back, put me in the restroom, and raped me. Mm. Now, at that time, there was very little help. I knew nothing about that anything like that could ever happen. I blamed myself for some reason, although I didn't know why. So I decided to keep it quiet. I'd never tell anybody, and I didn't for 30 years. Mm. My parents had no idea. My siblings had no idea. My schoolmates, teachers, nobody knew what I had gone through. For a couple months, it didn't bother me too much. And then one day I fell into a deep depression at age 9 or 10, and I didn't want to socialized with anybody. I thought everybody hated me. I didn't have any feelings toward anybody. Um, It was just awful. Mm. And my schoolwork dropped like a rock, and I just barely got out of fourth grade. That was my first episode with depression, and it lasted, oh, for a couple months. Because you got to realize that when you have bipolar, it doesn't mean you have it bad every day. Mm. It kind of like goes like a roller coaster. One day you're up, you might be up for two months, and then you go down for a month or two months or whatever. So it's very uh, cyclical in its nature. So I got out of that first depression and felt pretty good. And I had some more in, in junior high and high school and college. But I was always able to fake it with everybody. Nobody knew what I was going through. And I still had a lot of good times in college, especially. And only time things were really bad is when they were really bad and nobody there to help me. Right. Uh, When I got out of college, things changed. Uh, I fell into a deep suicidal ideation depression that lasted quite a while. One evening, I got in a fight with my father, and the next day, I was in a mental institution in Columbus, Ohio. Stayed there for three weeks. Uh, I would say that saved my life Hmm. because after I was done with getting a psychiatrist and going through all the group therapy and things, my suicidal ideations were gone and never came back, really. The problem was they diagnosed me as clinically depressed. And for six or seven years, they had me take medications designed for that diagnosis, and none of them helped. Right. And I was bad. I couldn't keep a job. They fired me, or I had to sleep and couldn't go to the job, or I got mad and quit. All the things went wrong. And then in 
1978, six years or seven years later, they said they made a mistake. My diagnosis should be bipolar. And they prescribed lithium for me, which was the wonder drug back then. <laughs> probably still is today. Yeah. And it worked very well. Now, it got me about 50% better. But that 50%, I was then able to reenter the human race, get jobs, and do everything. I still had some terrible things going on. One of the worst is ruminations, if you know what that means. Uh, it's when your mind is completely overridden by thoughts that just keep whirling and whirling and whirling around. Yeah. And sometimes you can't shut them off uh, and you just got to keep fighting it. Yeah. Uh, also, I was very impetuous. I would go out. I bought a new car one time because my wife was buying one. I said, hell, I'll take one, too. <laughs> so that kind of impulsiveness goes along with it. Mm -hmm. The ability to make smart decisions kind of stops. You make decisions based on got to do it now, got to do it now. So that went on until about the year 2000. So that's 22 years. Oh, my gosh. The work was gone, but there was still a lot of residue yeah. And then in 2000, they put me on a medication called Paxil. And since that time, I've been 80 to 90% to the good. Mm. Wow. 51 years of marriage. That means you're, you and your wife went through all this together with the kid. With yeah. all, that's a lot in, in life. Yes. The worst times for her were the same times that were the worst times for me, that period from getting out of the hospital till I got uh, lithium. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your whole story. So, I mean, like I'm sure there's more, but it's one of the things that can, one of the things I want to talk about on this show is, you know, there's certain, we all, we have these obstacles in our life. There's things that happen to us, um, that are outside of our control. Um, you're, you're being raped outside of your control and your BP, your bipolar disorder, all of this. And, you kept going, <laughs> like you kept um, going in this world. And I, since, since you were able to be on lithium and then have the Paxil and like start to feel more like yourself, mm -hmm. um, what did that allow you to do? And, and what it like, how has that been able to affect your life and the life you wanted to have? Do you feel, do you feel bad for the years that you miss? Like, do you wish you had them back? I guess I just have so many questions about like what it's like to kind of feel like you don't have control over how you're feeling. Well, it's a strange thing. It's it's like uh, if you have a heart attack or you break a leg. When I was going through the worst years, it was terrible. But now, and during the last 20 or so years, I can't remember how bad it was, mm. which is a blessing. Okay. Because if I had to wake up every day going, oh, hell, I knew when I did that, I, you know, it'd be terrible. So if a person who is bipolar or depressed takes on the challenge of getting better, and it's a lifelong challenge, there is no cure for depression, there is no cure for bipolar. But if you stick with the regimen, if you can get in to see a psychiatrist, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, um, 
and you follow what they say and you get a, uh, a therapist or psychiatrist who you can be in tune with and are ready to work and keep going, you can have a good life mm. yeah. and you can be very productive. I, I love hearing that, that gives me hope for people, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of mental health issues out there and it feels like, it feels like an uphill battle. Um, it is. And especially for the people around and the loved ones who love the person who's going through it, it can feel also helpless and hard. Um, what, since all of this has been going on, what have you been wanting to do? Is it, is it your, do you have like a mission? Do you have something that you like been, have you been using this, uh, diagnosis to, to, for the, what you're doing in your life now? Like, can we talk about what, what you've been doing in these? I mean, you should be retired and enjoying life in the sunset, (laughs) (laughs) but you're here on this podcast. So what's, what's been, what have, what have, what has this whole life done for you? My mission, as you call it, really started when I still had my clothing store in Ohio in the late 90s or mid-90s. And every Christmas, we had a big store and very busy. And so we would hire young ladies, junior high, high school, to come in and run errands and wrap packages, get things for us. And this one year, I hired this one young lady. She was very bubbly, cute, uh, vivacious, uh, everything about her. She was a good student, uh, starter on the basketball team in high school, and had everything going for her. I thought this girl was going to go somewhere. One Saturday morning, her best friend, who also worked for us, came in the store sobbing and crying and came up to me and said, Angie killed herself last night. Mm. And just before that, maybe a few months before that, uh, I had a friend who lived 100 miles from me who we went to college together. And we talked quite frequently. And he told me his son had been having problems and his son was about 16. And one day they got a phone call from the local police saying that they caught their son breaking into a house and would they come down to the police station and get him? And so they did. The kid got out of the car, said, Mom, Dad, I love you, but I can't take it anymore, shot himself in the head. Those two Mm. incidents made me realize that teenagers, and remember this was 25 years ago. Yeah. So think about how bad it is today. Yeah. The teenagers had a lot of emotional problems. Mm-hmm. And basically, for sure, back then, nobody was paying any attention to them. So I decided I would uh, offer myself to high schools and uh, give talks about uh, teenage depression and suicide. Mm-hmm. And, uh, at the end of each talk, I would ask the uh, any one of the kids to come down and talk to me about what they're going through. 
And this one girl came down and she was the top student, the top athlete, pretty, had everything going for her. She said, Mr. Wilson, I can't take it anymore. Everybody thinks I have to be the best. My parents just driving me nuts because they want me to get into the best schools. And of course, I got to get a scholarship for them. And she said, I can't take it anymore. Heartbreaking. So all I could do was give her information of where she could get help. And I hope she did. I never saw her again. The next little girl who came up was same age, just an ordinary student. You'd think she's fine. She says, Mr. Wilson, I've got no friends. Everybody hates me. They bully me. They make fun of me. My parents don't like me. I want to die. I told her the same things about getting help. And I, again, I never got to see him again. But that really opened a door and a window for me to realize that this is really some serious stuff. And I continued to talk into classes until my wife and I moved out to Arizona in 2008. And I wanted to pursue pursue those uh, talks I was giving to people mm-hmm. in school. And out here, they said, you're too old. <laughs> I was 60 at the time. And they wouldn't let me do it. Mm. So I decided there's got to be something else I can do. So I got in touch with a group that has uh, mental health support groups. And I went through their training program and got selected as a facilitator. And I've been facilitating two support groups for the last eight years. Mm. It's amazing what I have found out from those people. Mm -hmm. Um, Many of them. And I do age 18 to 80. Many of them that are still suffering today are suffering because their parents or a friend of a parent sexually abused them. Mm-hmm. Somebody else beat them up. Mm-hmm. Somebody uh, told them how worthless they were all the time. Mm-hmm. I had kids who were locked in closets with nothing but a bottle of water for hours on end. And it became apparent to me that it's not it's not just because automatically you become bipolar or depressed. There's a lot of reasons to go through it. And I had experienced one of those reasons. Um, we spend a lot of time in our groups learning about each other. Mm-hmm. And in these groups, they're able to tell their story. Now, it may take a month, it may take six months, or they tell their story or don't and never come back because they're scared. Yeah. But um, one of the big things, now, most of my groups are made up of people who don't have a lot of money. They may be on disability. Um, What are the ages? What are the ages? Uh, is obviously like you're not doing it in schools anymore. So like, is it and as, as the ages just range? Are you finding that people yes, are coming? Big range of ages. Mm. Now, um, I gotta say that two thirds of my uh, my groups, and I can do. I did sixteen people last night, 
Uh, so I can do about 30 people a week. And mm -hmm. I've seen well over a thousand people in these years. Yeah. Um, most of them are middle income to lower income, uh, struck by the inflation for today. And, uh, you know, it's really tough. Yeah. Well, what's happened to our system? Well, our system never did anything and it does less today because they set up these, uh, what you call uh, group homes and uh, clinics that these people can go to, but they're woefully inadequate. Yeah. Uh, it might take you a long time to get an appointment. It might take you, you might take an appointment for one week and then you have another appointment a month later and it's a different guy. I, you know, when I, so sorry to cut you okay. off, Steve. When I, I remember I was having some really, like I was going through something in 2013. I was quite depressed and my life had like just been flipped over. And I um, had insurance, I had great insurance at the time. And I was trying to find like a therapist and I wanted to go by a referral because, you know, I wanted someone that like had some, someone to, could say that they were good. And uh, everyone had a wait list months long or they didn't take my insurance or, or like, oh, they could take me, but not with, like all of a sudden I'm like, what if I was actually like, I'm depressed, but I'm not willing to leave this planet right now. What if I was, you know, like, and also I had the means to, I had the, the means to pay for it. I had the means to, to do, go to it and not everyone has that. So I, you know, when you bring up like the system, it's really, I feel if it's awful because like the people who are in, who are working those places, it's not like they don't want to help people. It's just that the, the system is broken. And so even if they want to help people, they're not able to help as many people as they're not able to help them the way they want to. It's a sad situation. The number of therapists and psychiatrists is dropping around the world. Um, the reasons are clear to me. Some of them drop out because they get burnout or whatever. But the real reasons are kind of like twofold. Uh, the insurance companies have waged war yeah. on mental health by uh, excluding many millions of people. I want to tell you something. There are 60 million people who suffer from mental illness in this country alone. Wow. So, And it's worldwide at about that percentage. So there's, it is much more prevalent than people who get serious diseases. Uh, yeah. And it's just as traumatic or worse. Yeah. So the insurance companies have blocked everything. Oh, yeah, you can get insurance if you pay a premium of uh, $300 or $400 a month. And then you pay $200. Uh, you uh, might get covered all of it, but you might not, but that's still 300 bucks a month. Yeah. You take people in my groups, $300 a month is whether you eat or not. Yeah. Yeah. And then you throw in the government. Government has virtually no desire to get involved in much of a way with mental illness. They look at people and they go, he looks all right. Nothing wrong to me. Doesn't have broken leg. That's the thing about mental illness that's so hard is like, or any sort of condition that's like hidden. You know, um, 
it's really people have, if they've never experienced it, they kind of go, can't you just like, can't you just take a pill, <laughs> feel better. And it's not the, the, that it's not how it works. <laughs> even, yeah, even if you're on the true. right medication, <laughs> even the right medication for you, it's just, that doesn't fix the problem. Doesn't solve the issue. And it doesn't at all help the people who, who may not even have access to get the diagnosis, to get the medication. Are you like, so your groups, I just have a question for you in case someone's listening going, oh my gosh, I wish I had a group. Is this like something people can just Google? Are, pe- are there people like you everywhere who are holding groups like this? Or is there yes, like a facility? Are, like all over the country. What, where can they um, search for, for, what do they need to search for to find a group like yours? Well, they can search for uh, mental health support groups, Phoenix or wherever they live. Mm-hmm. They can go to a major mental health Resource, which is called NAMI, National Alliance for Mental Illness. It's N-A-M-I is most commonly referred to. Okay. Uh, but everything you're going to need to find out is online. The problem is that doesn't change the situation these people face. Yeah. And I, as we talk about the government again, they're not doing much, um, and these people can't afford it. So what happens to them? Um, oh, I want to say one other thing. Yeah. You talked about medication a minute ago. Yeah. Only 50% of mental Ill, mentally ill people respond to the medications. Mm. So if you've got 100 people, 50 of them don't get any help for medication. So they struggle on their own. And especially if they don't have a therapist or someone to tell them, they don't realize that there are things they can do in a therapies that often is covered by insurance, such as EMDR, which is an eye movement exercise Mm -hmm. and behavioral therapy Mm -hmm. and intensive outpatient therapy. All these things can help if if you need them, they're there. Yeah. Problem is, most people don't know anything about them. Yeah. That's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, because I feel like anyone listening to this podcast can hear that these things exist. And whether they're the person who is going through something right now, or they know someone who is, it doesn't have to feel like you don't know how to help them. We, they're, we have to just find, we have to be able to use the resources that are out there. Um, so that's really promising. Cause I'll be really honest, Steve. I was like, is there, is there any hope? <laughs> is there, a, is there hope for people suffering with mental health issues that, you know, don't have the means, you know, but it sounds like yes. there's some groups. The support that is most important is from your friends, family, teachers, and anybody you feel compelled to tell them what's going on mm-hmm. that you think, well, they will understand. The support is what they're giving you, not answers. Okay. Um, I like that. You want them to want to know that they're there. And if you need them, they're always going to help you. Yeah. Problem is most people don't know how to interact in a mental health situation. Yeah. So you have got to let the people you're talking to know 
what you would like them to do, what you can, what they can do most. And again, as I say, it's just love them and make sure that they got housing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's a thing, right? Um, sometimes I'll be having I have clients who are like they'll you know they'll just be talking like the complain about something that's going on, and this is going on. I'm like, you know, the person that you're upset about, they are overwhelmed. <laughs> you know, like they're. They too are overwhelmed. And I feel like we're right. in this place where most people want to love and they want to be generous with time and and resources. And yet, you know, we're living in a time that is exhausting. <laughs> There's something going on everywhere and it can just feel, you know, overwhelming to help the people around you. But I, I do think that... um it's important to know that it can be enough just to be there for someone and listen. And it can also be enough to love them and, and, and let them know that, that, that they have support, you know, it doesn't have to be that you're, you're, you know, I had someone on many, many years ago about um, being like a patient advocate. And she said, you can advocate for someone as much as you have the ability to. So there's a Venn diagram and if you were to advocate more than you have time for or the ability for or means for, you're actually doing a disservice to both people. So yes. you have to be really conscious of that. And I think um, for some people that can feel like they're being selfish, but like it's really being honorable. Like I have this much time or this much money or this much this. And then to give that and then, you know, doing their doing your own due diligence around what's around you to help support people beyond what you can do. Now, I want to tell you something. It isn't going to be easy for someone to give support because some of these people, if they're manic especially, they can be out of control. They can say things to you that hurt, mm -hmm. and you want to just say, shut up, but you can't. Mm -hmm. And it's a very tough job to be a, a supporter. How do you there protect yourself, Steve? Because, like, you are taking on so many people's stories in these groups how do you protect your energy tell you the truth i get energized by it because mm. i'm out there helping people and seeing i have done this for so long that i have seen people many people come from the darkest depths to having their life back mm. and it is really cool now out of the 30 people i see how many might that be Three, 10 percent. Mm. But it is really cool when they respond. Uh, on the other thing, before I forget, we were talking about uh, uh, support. Yeah. I would suggest that everybody who is in a position of supporting somebody go to NAMI, N-A-M-I's website and look up where you can find a class devoted especially to those caring for mentally ill people. It oh. will open your eyes, not only one, what you're in for, but two, how to react. That's wonderful. Thank you for that. Um, that Thank you for that tip because um, it's kind of like, you know, there's when you are someone who's been with an, someone's an addict in your family, there's options for help. And there's groups for people who are friends or families of addicts because it you mentioned it like people can say some really harsh mean things 
And um, it's, you know, you it's hard not to take it personally, even though yeah. it's not, you know, because words hurt. So, yeah. Yeah, it can be really tough. So you are doing these groups twice a week. You are being this resource for people who are going through this. What, you know, I know, I don't, I would love to say that we could somehow help people with mental health issues sometime in my lifetime. <laughs> it would be <laughs> really great, but I'm also not going to hold my breath. Um, for We have a lot of people who have children who listen to this show. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you have any advice for parents of kids, because as you mentioned in the 90s, those things were happening. And now we've got social media. There's all these pressures to get into all the Ivy League schools and you have to get into the best ones. And, you know, there's just there's a lot of pressure to be. I I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm so grateful I went through high school without social media. I'm so glad no one has pictures of what I look like. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be really honest. I didn't have, but I used to, when I was a applies instructor in Los Angeles, I taught a lot of teenage girls and the things that were coming into their phones, just bullying, bullying nonstop. And yeah. the suicidal thoughts that my 11 year old girls that I was helping were having, I can only imagine what it's like to be a parent <laughs> right now. So um, is NAMI the only resource for them or do you have any, have any tips for them? Because you used to do all these talks for young kids. God, the big thing, I think, is to watch your child and try to notice, not probing and probing and all that stuff, but try to notice if there's been changes in his life, his mood, his actions. Uh, The first telltale signs that your child might be having problems is his overall attitude is he now watching well hell now they're doing these games does he sit there and do the games all day every day mm-hmm. have his grades dropped have he is he moping around the house did none of his friends ever come over anymore mm-hmm. does he never go out you got to be cognizant of what he's doing that's the first step then you've got to somehow figure out how to get him help. Mm-hmm. You can't go to him and say, son, something's wrong with you. Let's go to a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. That'd be a lot easier, a lot of be more gentle than that. But I would say I would, nobody watched me back then. Yeah. My parents didn't have a clue. My sister didn't have a clue. And uh, even though I wasn't sleeping any nights and all the other things I was going through, nobody had a clue. And it's the same today. Yeah. But there are just as many children with mental illness as there are adults. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the pressures, as you say, are profound. Yeah. Yeah. I like that you mentioned those signs because I think it's true. Like kids inherently want to hang out with their friends. They don't want to hang out with their parents. <laughs> <laughs> and if they're hanging around your house all the time. <laughs> um, and it's hard. I love that you also said, like, don't go probing and, like, tell them what you're going to do. Because it's also, that's just more pressure, you know. Um, yeah. One of my um, one of my client's moms, she was just like, I knew it was so hard for her watching her daughter go through these things and have these thoughts. And 
continued to be an open space of support. You know, she was definitely going through her own therapy to figure out like how to say, what to say, how to react to things so that she wasn't adding to all the things that were going on with her daughter. And it was just, it takes, it's a lot. And if you are, if you also have a job, (laughs) you also, you might even have your own mental health stuff. It can be even more exhausting. I think we have to just continue to have kindness and space and grace for ourselves and also for others. And, um, and I think the more we recognize that mental health is a real, is a real thing we'd be paying attention to. And it's actually like very precious, you know, um, I, I think that can actually help, you know, the more we realize that like, because I think sometimes people just like, they blame themselves. Why do I feel so tired? Why do I feel so down? Why am I so hard? Why am I so negative? And then they just pile on more stuff (laughs) to themselves when it might be, you know, an imbalance in their bodies that has nothing to do with, with them. (laughs) It's everything to do with them, but it's not their fault. Yeah. They got, people got to realize that it's kind of like, why do I have diabetes? You didn't create the diabetes. Your genetics created the diabetes. Your diet, all these things created it. Well, with mental illness, it's a chemical imbalance in your brain. It is genetics. Definitely. It runs big time in my family. Mm-hmm. And... You can't blame yourself. You just got to spend your time working on yourself and getting through this and enjoying life. Mm-hmm. If I had had to live for 75 years the way I did in the 20s, I mean, when I was in my 20s, I wouldn't be here. There's no way. Mm. So I, I got the help I needed and I stuck with it. Yeah. Steve, I'm so glad you're here. Before Thank you. we get close to the end, is there anything else? Um, that you wanted to share with our listeners today? Well, of course I want to talk about my book. Let's talk about your book. <laughs> Where can my people, can people buy it anywhere? Pardon me? Where can people buy it? Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Perfect. And it's available someplace I never even heard of, so I can't even <laughs> tell you what they are. What, I'm an old man. I don't know any of this stuff. Remind me the name of it again. Teetering on a Tightrope, mm. My Bipolar Journey. It actually came about because just about four years ago, I still had some lingering things that troubled me, even though I was feeling pretty good. Um, So I went to a trauma therapist. Now, they're different than just everyday therapy. And what she did for me was took me back to my first memory and then over several months went through my life's. Uh, in chronological order, all the way up until the we were at uh, four years ago. Mm. We got done. She said, Jesus, you ought to write a book about this. Look at all this stuff in there. Mm. And so I had been a sports writer for a little while. And uh, so I knew something about writing. So I said, what the hell? I'll do it. Now, it was easy because... I had everything in my mind. I didn't have to research anything or anything. Still, it took about a year and a half to write it, not working all day, every day. Mm -hmm. And then the publishing process is very long and tiresome. (laughs) It finally came out in 2022. Um, I have not heard how it's doing, which means 
leads me to believe it's lingering. Mm. So why I wrote the book was for so many people to get an idea of how someone can suffer with mental illness. Yeah. I think it's something we need to know so that we can have grace for people who are suffering. Yeah. It's really hard to help people whose stories you don't understand if you never experienced it. Stigma against mental health in the world is terrible. They think it means somebody got to lock up and put him in a straight jacket, and that's the only way he should live. But even though those thoughts were more prevalent 50 years ago, they're still with us today. Yeah, they are. I'm glad you wrote your book, and I'm really Thank grateful you. that we met because um, I think it's these are conversations. They're not, this is not, there's nothing sexy about this episode, guys. <laughs> you know, like it's, but it, to me, it was just so important to have this conversation because the longer we decide to ignore that mental health is an issue in our societies, no matter where you live on this planet, more people will suffer and their suffering isn't only for the, it's not just themselves. It affects everyone around them. And sometimes people come into the crosshairs of someone who has mental health issues that didn't even know them, you know? So I just think it's really, really important. Um, so we're going to take a brief break. Um, I'm going to then ask, um, make sure we get all the links for where your book is and how people can find you. And then, um, we have, have one more question for you at the end. Okay. All right, loves, it's super important to me that supplements I take are of the highest quality, and that's why for three years I've been drinking AG1. Unlike many supplement brands, AG1 is constantly searching for how to do things better. At 52 iterations of their formula and counting, their team is always trying to find better ways to source, test, and aim to find the best quality ingredients available. I love this so much, guys, because so many people think I have to get it right the first time, and they have done 52 different iterations. I freaking love that. So many people have asked me if AG1 is actually the real deal. I really do drink it, and trust me, there's a reason why I've been drinking it for so long. Quality for AG1 isn't just a buzzword. It's a commitment backed by expert-led scientific research, high-quality ingredients, industry-leading manufacturing, and rigorous testing. At each step of the process, AG1 goes above and beyond industry standards. I know I can trust what's in every scoop of AG1 because it's tested for 950 contaminants and banned substances while the industry standard typically only tests for 10. Holy moly. I know that like I'm a recovering overachiever over here, but I'm super glad AG1 isn't. Okay, so taking care of my health shouldn't be complicated and AG1 simplifies this by replacing multiple health supplements like multivitamins, digestive aids, immune support, and more in just one simple scoop. It's literally just one scoop. It's one scoop in one bottle of water. It's amazing. AG1's ingredients are heavily researched for efficacy and quality, and I love that every scoop also includes prebiotics, probiotics, and digestive enzymes for gut support. Y'all know I've had gut stuff, so that's why I've been doing it for so long. I've partnered with AG1 for so long because they make such a high quality product that I genuinely look forward to drinking every day. So if you want to replace your multivitamin and more, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first subscription at drinkag1.com slash be it. That's drinkag1.com slash B-E-I-T. Check it out. All right, Steve. So you have your book, and that is available on Amazon, Barnes Room. You can just search for it. Um, is there anywhere else you want people to connect with you? On my website, um, I'm on 
Instagram. Check you out. On <laughs> Facebook. Well, you you are older than my dad, and he's on none of those things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you the reason I'm on him, because I had to hire somebody to tell me how to do all this stuff. <laughs> Uh, okay, so Steve, uh, your website, what's your website? And then is your Instagram account on there? We can put all this in the show notes. Okay. My website, do you have it? Did I send it to you? Oh, I did send it to you. Yeah, you probably did. We can put it on there. Yeah. yeah. I sent it all to you. Okay. We'll, we'll put it all in the show notes. Okay, my last amazing question for you is this. You've given us so many action items already told us about NAMI and things like that. But if you have anything else that's, I like to leave people with an action step at the end, if they've been inspired by your story, a bold, executable, intrinsic or targeted step people can take to be it till they see it. Do you have any advice for us? Yes. It's a terribly long journey ahead to get mental health drawn out of the dark ages. But if we don't start now, it's never going to happen. The government isn't going to do it without some beating on them. Insurance companies are going to fight like hell not to do it. But, you know, there's so many people in this country who are suffering. If they all just did something, wrote their congressman or fought with their insurance companies, and we learned how to do it as a group, we could start mm. getting some things done. Mm-hmm. It will not conclude and get a lot better in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. I doubt if it gets really good in your lifetime. <laughs> so this is mainly for those kids coming back, yeah. back of us. Yeah. And the last thing I'd like to to point out is that if you are suffering from mental illness, don't give up. Mm-hmm. There's always hope. There's always a chance you can have a better life. But you can't do it alone, mm-hmm. and you can't give up at any time. Yeah. Steve, I'm blessed to know you. Thank you so much for Thank being you. here. <laughs> Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for encouraging us to act. You guys will put uh, the U.S. phone number for Congress <laughs> in the show notes because Brad and I actually know it by heart. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but uh, if you are outside the U.S., you know, you do you have representation? You should let them know what you would like them to be representing you on. Um, thank you so much, Steve. And everyone, please share this with someone who needs to hear it. The more people who hear this, the more people we can put pressure on, the more people we can, more ways we can get help where it's needed. Mental health is not going to go away and we all need to be doing it together. Um, and so let us know how this episode affected your life. And until next time, be it till you see it. That's all I got for this episode of the Be It Till You See It podcast. One thing that would help both myself and future listeners is for you to rate the show and leave a review and follow or subscribe for free wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, make sure to introduce yourself over at the Be It Pod on Instagram. I would love to know more about you. Share this episode with whoever you think needs to hear it. Help us and others be it till you see it. Have an awesome day. Be It Till You See It is a production of the Bloom Podcast Network. If you want to leave us a message or a question that we might read on another episode, you can text us at plus one three one zero nine zero five 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 three four or send a DM on Instagram at Be It Pod. 
It's written, filmed, and recorded by your hosts, Leslie Logan and me, Brad Crowell. It is transcribed, produced, and edited by the Epic team at Desenio.co. Our theme music is by Ali at Apex Production Music, and our branding by designer and artist, Gianfranco Chofi. Special thanks to Melissa Solomon for creating our visuals. Also to Angelina Herico for adding all of our content to our website. And finally, to Meredith Root for keeping us all on point and on time. All right, my coffee lovers, I got something for you. And I know most of you are coffee lovers because if you're listening to this, you have lots of things you're doing and coffee is something that you are taking with you everywhere you go. In fact, I know the plies instructors around here are taking coffee, kombucha, tea, and water into every class that they take. So this one is amazing because this is Pure Cafe Bold. They have two options for you. They've got black coffee and then they've got a caramel coffee latte, which is amazing. And here's why it's amazing. It's pre-brewed. So it comes in this amazing little packet and you can actually just take the packet into your office, your work on a plane like we've been doing. And then you pour hot water in and boom, you've got coffee. And this coffee actually has some amazing stuff. It's not just regular coffee. This coffee supports your immune system. It boosts cognitive function, increases stamina, it reduces stress, and it has cordyceps. And what are cordyceps, you ask? Oh, that's right, Brad's here. Nature's powerful secret energizer, a rare species of fungi, cordyceps is renowned for its invigorating properties and centuries old use in traditional medicine packed with essential nutrients. This natural adaptogen boosts stamina and supports overall well-being. And seriously, it's actually super simple to make. Leslie and I have taken it camping. Yeah. I'll use it in the afternoon. We're taking it everywhere because I'm tired of conferences and different hotels having burnt coffee. It's a thousand times better than the terrible coffee that you get on an airplane. And the black coffee is like less than a dollar a packet. So it's like, it's really kind of amazing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a big fan of the caramel myself. He the does caramel like has it. a little bit of, uh, of milk in it. So. It has some dairy. So my dairy free peeps, you, you can't do the caramel, but you can do the black, right? Yeah. The black coffee is vegan, keto, gluten-free, non-GMO, nut-free, dairy-free, fat-free, and CGMP compliant. All right. So here's the deal. You need to go to beitpod.com slash coffee, B-E-I-T-P-O-D.com slash coffee. And when you do that, you are going to be able to get some amazing coffee that we're loving. You can buy it as a one-time purchase, or you can actually get it as a subscription. There's even family packs. So if you know that you've got a lot of coffee drinkers in your household, this is amazing. And it's honestly cheaper than all the coffees we've been making at home. So we are so excited. I hope you are going to be at pod.com slash coffee. And, you know, cheers to you and I. Every morning, we'll be drinking the same coffee together. Woo!